Good morning. Good morning. I'm Donna, and I am so happy. <laughs> I feel like God is so good to me this morning. I get to be in one of my favorite places in the whole world, and I've seen a lot of places in the world. This is literally one of my favorite places in the whole world. I have weather. I'm from New England, and I live in L.A. County where we have the same 365 days a year. And today I get real weather, which is so good for me. Thunder and snow? Awesome. And I get to teach from one of Paul's letters, which it's always a blessing to teach God's word, but Paul's letters are so dear to my heart. And I get to be with all of you. Four reasons why I'm so happy this morning. I love youth workers. I've never been one. I didn't even grow up in a church, so I never had one who was responsible for me. But I love youth workers, and here's why. I'm a mom. I have four kids. I have two daughters who are 22 and 20, and I have sons who are 17 and 16, and nobody is responsible, really, for my kids except for Eric and me. So any person who says, I'm going to love this kid when they're not their parent, it's such a beautiful thing. I didn't expect to cry in the first minute. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that there are men and women who just take my kids under their wings. It's really, it's, it's my job. It's Eric's job. But our youth workers come alongside, and I'm so, so thankful. Anybody who loves your kids, you need to thank them, right? <laughs> last night, my son Isaac is here with me. He's 16. Several of you came up to him last night and said, I remember you from Hume SoCal this summer. Thank you. You have no idea how much that meant to him. And Eric, where's Eric, was playing cornhole with them, wherever you are. Thank you. It meant so much to him. In the back. Thank you, Eric. Just a little thing, right? But to a kid, it's huge. So thank you all. And I get to spend a lot of time with youth workers in my church. I don't think this is the case in every church, but our youth workers are so embedded in the life of our church family and it's so good and healthy for them. And on a weekly basis, I get to spend time with youth workers, not because it's my role. I don't have a, an official role at church. My husband's one of our pastors, but we, all, we work with college students, and so many of our volunteers are college students, and, I, and they, the women especially, they just want to come over, sit in front of my fireplace, which it's mostly too hot for the fire to be on. But anyway, and we drink tea, and they just need encouragement, and I am so blessed to do that regularly. So blessed. So I am just thrilled to be here with you guys. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, smiling at me so far. Thank you. I am here on behalf of my husband, Eric, who is a, um, a part-time pastor at our church. He's a professor at Biola University of Theology, who is my, was my high school boyfriend and continues to be my boyfriend after 33 years of being married. We have four kids. We were married 19 years before we had any kids, so that makes our family unique, that's for sure. But we have uh, four who we adopted from Taiwan and China, and, um, and they are such a blessing to us a challenge, and such a blessing to us. But we're here today to dive into 2 Timothy, and I'm thrilled to do this with you guys. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it ministers to us in deep ways that we can't even anticipate sometimes. You know our needs. You brought us here. 
You've given us your word, and I pray now that we will open it and attend to it in a way that glorifies your name. Amen. Well, my son Isaac, who I said is here with me, he's got a cast. You will probably see him at lunch. Not easy to get around in slush and, and, uh, and rain and snow, but, um, but he will be hungry, so we'll make our way to the dining hall. But when we adopted Isaac, he was eight years old from China, and um, one day we were with friends, and we were kind of all joking about working out. I don't remember what exactly we were doing, but Isaac ended up on the floor as an eight-year-old doing push-ups. Now, my son is, has some handicaps. I did not expect him to be able to just bang out a whole bunch of push-ups, but he did. And he still had broken English because he had recently been with us from China. And as he's doing these push-ups, he says, strong for China. <laughs> and we paused and thought, where did you learn that, first of all? And um, why do you think you need to be strong for China, which is not, you're never going to live there again. <laughs> you are now part of our family. We all had a really good laugh, and we joke about it all the time. But here's my point. We all feel the need to be strong for something we all feel the need to be strong for something. And this passage, we see that Timothy felt the need, need to be strong. And either he felt weak or Paul uh, presumed that Timothy felt weak. But Paul just knew that Timothy needed to be strengthened. And in chapter 2, it gets really specific about Paul wanting to strengthen Timothy for what lay ahead. He knew that it would be challenging, and he knew Timothy would need to be strengthened. So Paul sets himself up here to say, I'm going to strengthen you. And here are some, some words that hopefully will be strengthening to him. I just want to remember for a second Ananias in Acts chapter 9. Do you remember Paul's walking on the road to Damascus? He gets struck down by this bright light, he gets sent to wait. And the Lord says to Ananias, who was, we don't know anything about him, except that he was faithful. Is that my earring that's making noise? Sort of. All right, I hear it. We'll go with one. Um, the Lord says to Ananias, who we don't really know anything about, except that he was a follower of the way, the Lord says, go to this man who is waiting for you. And what Ananias would have known about him was that he was a big, scary persecutor of the church. And here's what the Lord says to Ananias. Go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, for I will show you how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So the Lord told Paul that he would suffer. The Lord told Ananias that Paul would suffer. And then scales fell from Paul's eyes, and he rose, and he was baptized, and he took food, and it says he was strengthened. Was strengthened, right? Didn't come up with the strength on his own. He was strengthened. Then it says that he preached Jesus in the synagogues, and he was strengthened some more. And then a few verses later, it says, and the Jews plotted to kill him. So... And so it went for the rest of his life until the end where we see him now, at the end, when he sits lonely and cold in a prison cell. So he wants Timothy to know that suffering is to be expected, and he takes that on himself. So let's read this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. 
And please attend to the reading of this. It's the only perfect thing that will be said this entire day is God's word. If you were here this morning and you heard Sarah, it was worth getting up a little bit earlier for that. So precious. Reminder of how precious God's word is and why we need it as ministers. So here is God's word for you today. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. No soldier, soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, but his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Well, here's a simple outline for you if you're a note taker. Be strengthened, be willing to suffer, and believe God is faithful. We're going to march through this little outline this morning together. Paul says, my child, be strengthened. Chris talked last night about Paul referring to Timothy as a child. And I just love this language. We get a glimpse of the familial love that Paul has for Timothy. And remember in chapter 1, we saw that Paul remembers Lois and Eunice, right? His mother and his grandmother. And he said, they were faithful and they passed on this good deposit to you. We don't, see, we don't hear anything about a man. We don't hear anything about a father figure. And Paul is stepping into that role, isn't he? He's stepping into that role. And so just with this one little word, I think Paul is promising that until I die, which may be soon, but he's promising Timothy protection, prayer, guidance, commitment, all the things that a godly father would provide for you. And for as long as he was able, I think Paul was, was agreeing to or committing to provide this for Timothy. And surely he was meeting this emotional need that Timothy had. Imagine you're walking into a difficult ministry. You think the one who's gone before you will die soon, and you also don't have a godly father who will guide you, pray for you. So surely this was a source of, of comfort for Timothy at the beginning of this ministry that he was taking on. And I just want to pause here and say, what a beautiful example this is. For those of you who have been doing youth ministry for a long time and feel like, mm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm getting toward the end and I'm going to move on. What a great example for us here to see the way Paul meets Timothy's needs. And this passage is for you, but also for those of you who are newer and feel like, what am I walking into? This seems overwhelming. Yes, you and Timothy together. This is for you. 
So Timothy's encouragement really is, is our encouragement. And, and Paul provides emotional strength for him here. So be strengthened, it says. Be strengthened. Or I think find your strength. Find your strength. Notice Paul doesn't tell him, dig down deep and be the man. Dig down deep, find some, some place in you where you're strong and let that shine. He's not telling him that he's enough. He's not telling him he's the man. He's saying that you can be passive and let strength happen to you. Doesn't mean you don't have to do anything, but, but be strengthened by some things. And I think we see three things here at the beginning, beginning of this beautiful little passage. Three things that are going to strengthen Timothy. One is the relationship that he has with Paul as his spiritual father and spiritual son, his child. Second is God's grace, God's grace through Jesus. That's going to be what strengthens him. And the third is a, a team. Some of you came with your team. Ah, isn't it such a blessing to have coworkers who are after the same goal? So Timothy will be strengthened by these three things. His relationship with Paul, the grace of God, and his team. The grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the way he puts it. Timothy is saying that God provides, no, Paul is saying that God provides limitless, undeserved help and aid for ministry. And that his grace will bear Timothy through the hard things that are coming. And they are coming. And the grace of Christ Jesus will make his labors fruitful. So whatever lies ahead for Timothy, Paul's saying there's an unending source of grace and empowerment that transcends all flesh and blood. Any strength that Timothy will ever find, will ever have, will be because of God's grace. Be strengthened because you were saved by grace, because you will be sustained by grace, because you will continue to be sanctified by grace, because your ministry will continue because of grace. You will eventually die with God's grace. Be strengthened because grace never runs out. But he'll also be strengthened by a team of workers. So Jesus, remember, entrusted disciples, his disciples, um, with ministry in Matthew 28. And Paul entrusted ministry to Timothy and others. And he's just asking Timothy to do the same thing. Find a team. Find like-minded, trustworthy men who will share this task with you. Trustworthy, obedient, competent, who will treasure the good deposit and will pass it on and teach it to others. Paul's saying, you won't be able to do it alone. And you'll need co-workers, younger men that you can trust, just like Paul trusted Timothy. And this is a huge task. Some of you know this. It's hard enough to, to, do, the, to do gospel ministry, but then when you're trying to train others up along the way too, it's like two different jobs. It's a huge task for Timothy. And he was young. And he might be thinking, am I really ready to be the mentor? <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? Am I really ready to be a mentor? Yes. <laughs> if God is calling you to that and has equipped 
you for that. Training up the next generation. It's an unbelievable responsibility and privilege. He's also, this is our second point of our outline, be willing to suffer. You know how we all have these turning points in our lives that we can always look back on and say, I, I changed because of that. Sometimes they're really hard things. I have lots of those. <laughs> Sometimes they're amazing privileges that we've had, that we, we get to experience something and we say, oh, that changed me. Well, in 1993, Eric and I got to go. We were grad students, and we got to go on this amazing trip to, to Israel and Greece and Rome. And being in Rome, under the like, ground level of present-day Rome, sitting in a prison cell that they said likely could be the one that actually Paul was in, and our whole group, we had 40 students with us. We were all in there. We worshiped down there. It was dark. It was damp. It was smelly. And then all our students went and got on the bus. And Eric and I just sat down there and just cried. We just wept. It was so moving to think of everything that Paul had that he said no to. I just got to teach last week on Philippians 3 where he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, I press on toward the goal for the prize. Do you know what he's leaving behind and forgetting? It's not the sin. It's easy for us to think, oh, I'm going to forget that thing I did in high school and that time I stole that thing, whatever. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's leaving behind things that made him respectable, things that made him a leader, things that he was leaning on for his righteousness, but they weren't ugly things. He left behind, decided intentionally to leave behind things that gave him a reputation, good things. Anyway, he ends up in this prison cell. Eric and I got to be in there by ourselves and just sat and just really wept. It was such a turning point for me because at that point, I was like, okay, Paul is now my hero, <laughs> And um, I want to give a good part of my life to just study his life and his words. Because he was willing to take that on. The very hole in the ceiling, the hole was still there in the ceiling and they would have thrown food down in. And the very hole that Timothy would have come and passed the cloak and the parchments down through. Ah, so moving. Okay, willing to suffer. Paul is willing to suffer. For the sake of the gospel, we are strengthened by Jesus' grace. And we can share in suffering. He gives us three examples of ways, three examples of, of uh, people or types that do this in different ways. As a good soldier, as an athlete, and as a farmer. And all three of these are willing to sacrifice for the sake of something bigger than themselves. They endure challenges for the greater goal of fruitfulness. We're going to look at each one. A good soldier is willing to suffer and doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits. 
because he desires to please the one who enlisted him. He submits to this commanding officer, and he can no longer live as a civilian, can no longer be independent, can't be distracted, can't be cowardly, can't be casual about life, can't be self-indulgent. Mm-mm. Some of you have probably been in the military, and you're like, yep, that's right, you can't. <laughs> you don't get to sleep in. You don't get to decide what you're going to do today. Someone's telling you. It's the death of you do you. There's no more you do you when you're a soldier. And Paul's saying that's how we're supposed to live. The soldier's loyalties have shifted from the things of normal life to the things of the one who enlisted him. Those become our priorities. Why? Because we're preparing for battle. We can forget that. Sometimes it's very obvious we're in a battle, but sometimes we can forget. So the greater goal of pleasing the Lord prevents us from getting involved with the same things that occupied our time and devotion before we belonged to Christ. And we need to be so diligent now. And it's so easy to get lulled into patterns, habits that don't seem to be helping us be on the track of battle preparation. I mean, there's a long list of things. I, you, I know that you teach them and you say them and you harp on them for your students. And, but the same is true for us. I mean, how many golden retriever videos do I need to watch on Instagram? I have two golden retrievers. I love them. I like those cute little videos. It's not a good use of my time because I just saw the cute thing my own dog did. I don't need to see what someone else's dog's doing. You see, we can all fall into it. We can all fall into it. It's not helping me be a better soldier at all. An athlete, Paul tells us, is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You can't win if you don't stay within the parameters of the race. Do any of you know the story, remember the story of Rosie Ruiz? Okay, you weren't born yet, maybe some of you in 1980, but I remember the story of Rosie Ruiz. She was, well, she pretended to be an athlete. She won the Boston Marathon in 1980 for the women. She, it was the fastest time anybody had ever come in, a woman had ever come in in the Boston Marathon. It was under two and a half hours. The crowd went crazy. They gave her the medal. She had all kinds of interviews. And then people started to say things like, I saw that woman pop out of the crowd about a mile from the finish line. And then someone else said, she wasn't really sweaty when she got to the end. And then someone else said, her legs aren't very muscular, <laughs> like a marathon runner. Well, she didn't run. She ran one mile. But for eight days, she got the the glory, if you will, of being the fastest woman ever to run the Boston Marathon. And she fought the truth like crazy in public. How could you say this? You just don't want women to be so fast. It was nuts. She was willing to compromise so much for eight days of fame, even though it was all a farce. 
she, is not, she was not competing according to the rules, as it says in this passage. Fame at what cost? An athlete is not crowned unless she competes according to the rules. Here's what concerns me. We can essentially cut off 25 miles of race in our own lives, in our own ministries. We can skip our own spiritual growth on the way to doing the things that get attention, to doing the things that get the medal. What are the things that youth workers get praised for? Man, I'm, I'm sorry if I've ever been one of these people, but sometimes we praise just the outside things. You don't get praise for time alone in prayer because no one sees it. You don't get praise for just sitting in God's word until it changes your affections. And letting your feeding of your youth just spill over out of that. So I ask myself, I ask you, do you find yourself wanting the cheers from the crowd rather than holiness that comes from solitude with the Lord, with the Bible open and your face in it? <laughs> do you find yourself so tempted by fame that comes from finishing the race before everyone else that you jump in at the 25th mile rather than doing all the training and taking care of your soul along the way. Rosie Ruiz was found out. She, she chose a, a shortcut just for the medal and just for the fame and the attention that comes with it. And we might get found out in different ways, but eventually it catches up with us. We might be found out by burnout. Burnout will kill us. And sometimes it's because we, we try to jump in without doing all the training along the way, taking care of our souls along the way. And we're trying to give and we're trying to give and we're trying to give and we're like, ugh, it's hard to go back and catch up. It's hard to go back and do the the work that it takes to be built up. Well, Paul's advising Timothy, and I think he's advising us to take care of our souls. He also tells us, it's the hardworking farmer who gets the first fruits. Ministry is hard work, kind of like farming. You probably have some farmers in here. You work the soil and you wait and you plant and then you wait and then you water and then you wait and then eventually if, if, if all the things come together the way you hope and pray they will, you see harvest. Well, this passage tells us that the farmer gets the first fruits. The best of what is planted and watered and nurtured is the farmer's. And I think that's because the farmer needs to take the first of the harvest so he can be nourished to continue the harvest. He's got to feed his family so he can keep working and keep harvesting the rest for others. There remains hard work to bring in the rest of the harvest, so he's going to be 
nourished by the first fruits. Well, the best of what is grown and nurtured in your ministry will also be yours, will be your first fruits. What is nurtured? What is the best that is grown in your ministry? Is the best that's grown and nurtured in your ministry God's glory? Is it love for God's people? Is it commitment to his church? Is it personal holiness? If that's the best of what's happening in the youth ministry at your church, then those first fruits are are yours. You're going to be nourished in that as well. These are the things that are going to sustain you for ongoing ministry until that harvest is in. And then Paul says to us, think over what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. I just like this. Don't you think we should kind of add this out at the end of any teaching we do? Think over. Think it over. The Lord will give you understanding. If you don't understand it now, ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what I've said later. I just like that. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, they display a single-mindedness for the sake of a greater goal. And Paul wants Timothy to understand that that single-mindedness entails suffering. And he reminds Timothy of the suffering. Chris said for us last night, Timothy was there when Paul got stoned. He saw Paul's suffering. It's not theory. He's not just saying, you know, this thing that you're about to take on, it might, it might get a little hard. He saw it. And the... the the, the intent of stoning is not to give you a, a bruise. It's to kill you. <laughs> so, he saw that. Remember Jesus Christ, it says, risen from the dead. This is what Paul says to Timothy to encourage him to accept suffering. Jesus' resurrection declares his deity and Even he had to walk the way of suffering. Jesus did, and taste death. But death didn't defeat him, and so Timothy doesn't need to fear when this suffering looms huge in his life as well. Paul reminds him, I'm suffering too. Paul says, I'm still suffering. In 2 Corinthians, you may know this passage. I I find this passage so moving, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Paul catalogs some of the ways that he suffered for the sake of the gospel. Shipwrecks, chains, stoning, he was robbed. But then he says this. He says, on top of all that, I have the daily pressure on me of all the churches. My anxiety, says, for all the churches. I love this because the physical stuff was awful that Paul endured. And most of us have never and will ever, thankfully. But do you feel the pressure, the anxiety of all the churches? (laughs) I think Paul's saying, like, emotionally, it was maybe harder than physically. It's not the words he uses, but he's saying, like, he lists that at the end of his list. And yet he says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I was treated as a criminal for preaching the gospel. I'm bound. But the word of God is not bound. Man, Paul's eyes are never down for long. (laughs) He's always raising them up to the Lord and to 
the truth. The word of God is not bound. One of the reasons the word of God is not bound with Timothy is because Paul didn't hang on to it himself. He entrusted it to Timothy and others. So it's not bound because they continue and will continue to minister and continue by passing it on to other younger men. Paul's saying, I'm chained, but the word of God is not chained. I endure. He uses this word 16 times, endure. So I think he means it, means it, and I think he wants us to understand it. I endure for the sake of the elect that they might be saved. Those who need to hear the good news weigh so heavily. I think Paul wakes up every morning thinking there's still people out there who don't know. He preaches for salvation, and he's got eternity on his mind every day. I, some of you who have been coming up to Hume for a long time will, will remember my friend Rachel Kloss. I was just um, texting with her yesterday, and it, it just hit me that she's living this. <laughs> she has left the United States, as many of you know, because there are people in Papua New Guinea who've never heard the gospel, and she's given the rest of her life to that. And the sacrifices are huge. I remember when she put all her belongings out in her front yard over here. Just come and take them. Just come and take them. I can't take them with me. I don't need them. Never mind the people. That was her belongings. But never mind the people and the language and the food and the fellowship and all the things that she has said no to because their people haven't heard about Jesus. And she is getting after it, I will tell you. We all have friends like that. And God is not calling all of us to do that. But gospel ministry does require some sacrifice, and it's going to look different for all of us. But are we willing to take that on? I don't know about you, but I've been in a lot of job interviews, a lot of ministry interviews, and I have never been told that I should expect suffering. I've been asked about my awareness of cultural issues, how in touch am I with students, college-age students, am I a dynamic teacher, um, do I plan fun events, do I have good problem-solving skills, how do I work on a team? No one has ever asked, are you willing to suffer so that people will hear the good news about Jesus? Perhaps we need to tweak our job descriptions <laughs> for our youth workers. So my question, do you think that would increase or de decrease the attractability or the desirability of the job? <laughs> not sure. I'm not sure. So we're to be strengthened, we're to be willing to suffer, and we're to believe that God is faithful. Timothy is reminded here of this hymn or this poem, not quite sure what it was, but it's something that Timothy would have heard many times before. And there are four statements here, three are encouraging, one seems like a bit of a warning. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. So it's talking about fellowship now, we can have fellowship now with the Lord. If we endure, we will also reign with him, so we can have fellowship in the age to come. But then there's a hard left turn in verse 13. It almost seems like a warning. If we deny him, he also will deny us. The opposite of perseverance is betrayal, and it has consequences. That's what 
Paul is telling us here. God knows and keeps his own, but those who show that Christ is not their Lord will not receive his approval. There are lots of other, we don't have time, but there are lots of other passages that confirm this, right? That if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers. So we need to hear this and we need to preach this too. It doesn't mean that God doesn't sustain and keep his own. It doesn't mean that we can lose our salvation, but it means if, if someone rejects Christ, there are consequences for that. But regardless, here's the point. God remains faithful. Our unbelief does not affect his faithfulness. And that is good news for Timothy. And that is good news for us. And it's good news for your students. God remains faithful. And a life of ministry. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edit as we go because lunch is going to start in a few minutes. But here we go. Be intentional about your own well-being. Paul wants Timothy to know what lies ahead so that he can be strengthened. And those who've planned this week for you want you to be strengthened. This is not just for your ministry, but it's for you. Paul ensures Timothy is strengthened for ministry before he even gets to what he's going to do. So my couple questions for you as we end. Do you sit under the preaching of God's word? It's real easy to go to church and be busy and running around and doing the things that you need to do, but are you intentional that you are sitting under the preaching of God's word? And do your students see that you are sitting under the preaching of God's word? It occurred to me after I had kids for a few years that my kids never saw me in God's word. And that's because it was, you know, when it was still dark out in the morning and they were still asleep. So I realized I need to be intentional and say, do you know what I read today in Isaiah? Because they didn't see me reading God's word. They might, if someone asked them, they might have said, no, I don't know if my mom reads her Bible. <laughs> anyway, do your students see it? Do you invite mentors to speak into your life? You are the mentor for maybe 30 people. But do they, do you invite mentors to speak into your life? And do you submit to them? Do your students know that? Do you read books, biographies? I love biographies. Do you read books about people who suffered for the sake of the gospel? Ah, so good. I would recommend some if we had time. Do you read for spiritual growth, your spiritual growth, and not just for prep? Do you press on toward the goal of an intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you have people who preach the gospel, the life-giving good news to you? We need the gospel preached to us over and over and over because we forget, we forget to apply, we forget to live like it's true, we start to think we can earn something with the Lord. Do you have people who preach the gospel to you? Do you have people who call you child, who exhort you? to be strengthened by God's grace, who tell you the truth about difficulties in ministry, who remind you that God is faithful no matter what. Do you have these people? If you don't have these people, find these people, and they might not be the people that you expect. They might be someone who does, has never stepped foot in a youth room. It might be the 80-year-old lady in a wheelchair 
which actually just happens to be who I meet with regularly, <laughs> an 84-year-old lady in a wheelchair who is, oh, loves God and helps me love him better. Find your people. They don't have to be young. They don't have to be cool. They have to love God and his word. Find them. Let them speak into your life. Eat it up. Ask them for feedback. Ask them for constructive criticism. Ask them how they keep their relationship with the Lord vibrant. Find them. Maybe they're here. I don't know. But humbly, humbly invite them into your heart and life. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you that you have plugged each of us into churches where these kind of people exist, people who can uh, give to us and people that we can give to in turn. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen these men and women so that they will be strong when suffering comes so that they can preach the gospel without fear. And Lord, I pray that daily, every minute, they would remember that you are faithful and you will equip them for what you call them to. In Jesus' name, amen.